It's not just good conversation, it's your voice on the weekends. Weekends with Kenny Rahmeyer on News Radio KLBJ. really a pleasure to listen to you. Hey, I look forward to your shows on the weekend, by the way. Hey, listen, this is a great topic. Oh, Kenny, great show. I really enjoy listening to you when you're all by yourself. Come on, talk to me. Oh, what's going on? What's going yeah, what's going on? What's going on? Tell me what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. What's going on? And good afternoon to you. Welcome to 2024 here on Sunday afternoon. News Radio KLBJ, Kenny Rahmeyer with you live and local this afternoon. Always good to be with you. And we're going to start off with some breaking news. You didn't even hear this on Fox News, I don't think, a couple of moments ago. This from the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal. Just before we went on the air today, congressional leaders have announced a, a bipartisan deal that's... Uh, setting roughly $1.6 trillion spending level for the federal government for the current fiscal year. So this is, as the Wall Street Journal puts it, a key step toward averting a government shutdown, which you know is looming here in the weeks ahead. Not a lot of details on this deal at this point. As usual, it's being described as a framework of of a deal, and the agreement apparently still has a lot of unresolved issues. A congressman who represents some part of the KLBJ listening area, Congressman Chip Roy from Texas, Republican, leader of the House Freedom Caucus, he's already put this out there in a social media post, quote, as usual, we keep spending more money we don't have. And then he added that he was waiting further details. Okay, aren't we all? So, just giving you the latest, and I'm sure we'll have more on this in the days ahead as uh, the so-called framework becomes a little more clear to us. 512-836-0590. That's our phone number. You can give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. Lots of other things to talk about today. The U.S. Secretary of Defense still getting a lot of criticism this weekend over not telling hardly anyone, including the president, that he's been in the hospital for several days. He went in on January 1st. We're going to talk about this. I'm going to suggest the concerns and the criticisms are misplaced. We'll have that for you coming up here this afternoon on KLBJ. The Biden White House is getting criticism over the president's re-election strategy. But get this, the criticism is coming from prominent Democrats, including a former Democrat president. We'll have the latest on presidential politics coming up here on KLBJ. And a couple of governors on the Sunday TV news shows this morning, Governor Abbott from Texas, the other governor, a Democrat from Colorado, and they were talking about how to fix our immigration problems. Question is, will any of their proposals help the White House get a deal with Congress on border security and military assistance for Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan? Just some of the things that we're going to talk about with you here 
this afternoon on KLBJ. As I mentioned a moment ago, you can always give us a call or send us a text. If you'd like to join the program, 512-836-0590. And so I want to start off with what I thought was was kind of a non-story uh, in, in many respects. And this has to do with the U.S. Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, who is uh, getting a lot of blowback from politicians, from journalists. And I'm, I've got articles in front of me here from New York Times, from Politico, from Newsweek. They're, they're calling out this guy for not telling anybody that he was in the hospital, still is, but that he went in several days ago. It's reportedly left senior White House and Pentagon officials infuriated and befuddled. Some Republicans have quickly called for investigations or even for the defense secretary to be disciplined or fired. Mainly, Democrats have been defending the, uh, the secretary of defense or they've been declining to comment. This is being described as an extraordinary breach of protocol. And it's baffled officials across the government including in the Pentagon. This hospitalization was first reported by Politico. And again, the narrative, the common language in a lot of these articles I have in front of me is it's confounded White House officials. And so the administration continues to take heat about this over the weekend. I mentioned from uh, some politicians and a lot of journalists. There's a specifically... Of a journalism group that covers the Pentagon, and they have all been up in arms about this, claiming that the administration, of course, was preaching transparency, and this is anything but that, and that uh, they were essentially kept in the dark about the defense secretary's status. And so they're calling it a secret hospitalization, he was admitted to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center on New Year's Day. All of this complications following a recent elective medical procedure. Doesn't sound serious. I'm no medical professional. But he's still in the hospital and reportedly was um, continuing to perform his duties. And... There's no notice about when he might get out of the hospital. Now, you take a look at all the blowback that the administration is getting about this. I mean, the uh, president apparently wasn't told he went in on Monday. The president was told a few days later. Same way with the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, the White House National Security uh, Council all told on on this past Thursday. And it says this lack of disclosure with other high-ranking officials goes against established practice, comes at a time of heightened international tensions and demands on the U.S. Defense Department. Okay, there's all of that, and there's this organization of reporters that covers the Pentagon, and they're upset also. Okay, so there's all of that. What about this? 
This situation actually comes at a time when a lot of us are wondering day to day who's really running the show at the White House. Maybe there was no need to tell the president because he's pretty much out of the loop on the important stuff happening day to day. Anybody thought about that? You know, to me, the bigger issue, everybody's so upset about not finding out about this guy's being in the hospital for a few days. Where were all these people so upset? Because, like, some of them are saying he ought to be investigated. Some are saying maybe he should resign. Really? Where were those voices when we pulled out of Afghanistan? What a, what a debacle that was. Have any heads rolled over that? This, a lot of reports here saying, oh, heads should roll over this breach of protocol. And I, really? Are you kidding me? With the, with the more serious stuff on this guy's plate, and you're going to say he's done a, a superior job since he's been in that office? Again, pointing back to Afghanistan as Exhibit A of how he has not been doing a great job. Now you're going to say, well, come on, Kenny. All the reports are the military officials were telling the president to do one thing, and he just didn't listen to him. Yeah, well, did Austin, did he do anything at that point in time, or did he just roll with it? Did he take a stand and say, Mr. President, I can't abide by this decision you're making. I think it's the absolute wrong one. It goes against everything, everybody in the top command here telling us to do. No, none of that. And beyond that, everybody's so concerned about somebody's health. What about the president's health? Well, if you saw it last Friday, so much has been made about this big speech that President Biden made at Valley Forge, right? He, what, what he mentioned, Trump's name, I don't know how many dozen times, uh, really came out forcefully, supposedly, in his anti-Trump rhetoric and his uh, big campaign speech kicking off the new year. Well, did you see at the end the First Lady Jill running on stage as soon as the president's speech was over? It's pretty obvious at this point in time that was his first big speech to start the year, and, and now we have nothing but campaign stuff from now to November. It seems to me, whether it's the first lady or whether it's one of the advisors or the somebody, as soon as his speech is over, somebody's going to run up to him and immediately show him what to do next because this White House is tired of the optics of him standing there at a podium after he's made a speech, turning around, looking totally confused, looking befuddled, not really knowing what's going on. And so they've apparently figured out, okay, we can fix that. We're going to make sure one of his trusted advisors or maybe even the first lady, somebody's going to be there to make sure we don't have any of those bad optics. But then that same night, Friday night, after the Valley Ford speech and after the first lady saved the day where he didn't stand up there looking clueless as he usually does at the end of a speech, did you see him when he landed in Delaware a little bit later on that evening? He looked clueless as he was looking for the car that he's supposed to get into. And I'm thinking if we're going to have issues or concerns over somebody's health, let's, uh, let's have those concerns about the president.
512-836-0590. Excuse me. Back in just a moment on KLBJ. And Kenny Romeyer right back with you here on a Sunday afternoon, live and local for you on News Radio KLBJ. As we're starting out talking about all the blowback for you, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, secret hospitalization, as it's being called. I mentioned that a spokesman for the Department of Defense told Newsweek that Austin's still in the hospital, is recovering well, has resumed his full duties. They didn't give any updates about when he's going to be discharged. And I'm saying it seems to me this is a whole lot of noise about the wrong things. If they're concerned about somebody's health, it ought to be about the President of the United States and, more specifically, his cognitive abilities. That's If anybody is clamoring about anything with regard to somebody's health in the White House or in his cabinet or what, it ought to be the President of the United States. It starts at the top. I would even suggest, and I'm quite certain that the Trump campaign nor Nikki Haley's campaign nor the Governor DeSantis campaign, they're not listening to me on a Friday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon or any time for that matter. Here's what I would suggest. And, and Trump in particular ought to be doing this, but the others ought to jump on board. They all should be pressing the president and his campaign team. Let's go ahead and commit right now. We want four debates, Mr. President. That's how many have uh, kind of tentatively been agreed to by the Republican National Committee, the Democrat National Committee, right? Four scheduled national debates, right? We heard so much about the first one's going to be at Texas State, right? What a big deal that was. And I'm saying go ahead and press the president and the campaign to commit to four debates, 90 minutes each, which is pretty much traditional, right, what they are in terms of length. Now, you might say, oh, come on, Kenny, Trump's probably not even going to commit to that many. And you might be right. I think that'll be a disservice to the citizenry of the United States, the voters, if we don't get to hear from, if it turns out to be Trump, if it turns out to be Biden as the two finalists. And we don't get plenty of visibility to what they're all about and what they're going to do for us going forward and how they defend their records and all that. If we don't get those opportunities in debates, that'll be a big disappointment and a big and a big letdown for the electorate. But press the Biden team to make that commitment because I don't see any way they're going to put that guy on stage four separate times for conceivably up to 90 minutes. I don't see how they're going to sign up for that. All the more reason, press them on it now. Put them on the defense. Ask them why they won't commit to that at this point in time. Make his health an issue. That's what I'm saying here. It's got to be something more top of mind with more voters and and Anybody on the Republican side ought to be doing their part in, in trying to put the spotlight on that. And so all this noise about the U.S. Defense Secretary being in the hospital for a few days, didn't tell anybody, that doesn't sound good. He's a secretive guy, apparently, everything I've read about him. And certainly on your medical situation, your medical history, I get it. You don't want to talk about that a whole lot. 
you, you got to make sure at that level, though, that you put some protocol in place or you put some measures in place so that from a chain of command standpoint, key decisions could be made if necessary at the right time when, when seconds count. And, and while I was sort of joking about why tell the president he's out of the loop most of the time, I'm not so sure that's not the case. What was the sense of urgency in telling him? I really wonder. 512-836-0590. If you think I'm on track on this, if you think I'm way off base, that there's been so much noise about him being in the hospital for a few days and everybody's so upset about it, I think our concerns about somebody's health are, are really misplaced. And the focus ought to be on the president and his cognitive abilities, first and foremost here. Brian's calling in this afternoon on KLBJ. Hello, Brian. Uh, hello. I uh, I do not think you're off base and worrying about uh, Joe Biden's cognitive abilities and being as old as he is. But I think it's disingenuous to not have those exact same concerns for Donald Trump. Uh, their age difference is minuscule. When Joe Biden was a senior in high school, Donald Trump was a freshman. They're both older than the state of Israel. Uh, I, I think it's a dangerous game to play that you think, Joe Biden is slipping in cognitivity and and to not question those same concerns and frankly blatantly obvious things when he starts rambling that Joe that uh, Donald Trump faces. So let me let me uh, start off by agreeing with you in in a broader sense, Brian. They're, they're both too old. I'll, I'll, let's they're let's go ahead and old. and just acknowledge that from the get go. Yes, I'm fine with I'm fine with that argument. Setting that aside, though, for just a moment, and I'm no medical expert, I'm no doctor, I'm going off of what I've observed and what I've seen with these guys in action. Yeah, Trump rambles. He's been rambling since day one, since he first came down the escalator. Has it gotten somewhat worse, and has it gotten somewhat uh, more uh, of uh, random in nature, depending on which rally he's at and, and what he's saying and all that? Yeah, that just goes with the territory with him. From a cognitive standpoint, yeah, I've heard his slips, and he, you know, he'll talk about Biden and, and, and Obama and, and, and mix their names up and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, but I'm 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 just saying if you take a look by comparison, I don't I don't think that by any comparison that that Donald Trump is any better off than Joe Biden. Oh my gosh! Come on, Brian. Just take a look. Take Trump. Trump at least knows how to get off stage without somebody's help. I mean, give me oh, a break. Biden's clueless, sir. Twenty-four. We just saw footage of Donald Trump trying to stand still at, on New Year's Eve, and he's wobbling like a man should not be wobbling for somebody who hasn't had a drink in his entire life. All right, Brian, so we, uh, may, have to, we may have to agree to disagree. I started off, I said I, in a broader sense, yeah. I agree with you that they're both too old. I think we've got common ground there. I'm not going to suggest that Trump, based on what I've seen, my observations, is as bad off. Let me ask you this, Brian. Would you support both of these guys taking some kind of cognitive level test and and making those results available to us, the voters. Would you be up for that? I would. I mean, I, I, I guess 
what is a cognitive test? I mean, if it's the same pants, shirt, man, crayon thing that Donald Trump kept talking about two or three years, or I guess six years ago now, then no, I find no value in that. Okay, but, well, then, uh, yeah, if it's one of those things where you're, you're not going to release the results and somebody's just going to come on like Trump and say, well, I aced it and we're supposed to buy that, no. I want a very thorough cognitive level exam that would hey, give us some insight, story. Brian, that would give us some insight into whether this person is the best person and capable of leading this country and the free world for that matter. Well, well, I think, you know, well, maybe you don't. My, I, I, I will support Joe Biden in this next election. But okay, well, that's sad news there. That, yeah, but I will tell you that I don't see it much different, historically speaking, than Ronald Reagan's second election. Okay. Uh, by no means he was, was Ronald Reagan He was Reagan not a basket capable. case. He was not a basket hey, case. Ronald like Ronald Reagan's last year in office. His last uh, year. time has gone by, and we found out is. His, his last year, right. His last year, what we found out, right. This time around, we're going into it all knowing full well Biden well, is not I, up to the job. I'm sorry that you don't see I, that and that you're going to cast your vote I for him. I, 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 you, you talk about these things like finding his way off stage. I, so the man is on a stage he's never been before, and he looks left and he looks right and he pauses. I. You, you, if, if he, the guy's been in—he's he, been in politics for fifty some years, Brian. If he can't get on stage and make a speech at this point and know how to exit stage right, give me a break, Brian. Thank you. I'm not buying any of that. I am not, and it's selfish for somebody to say they're going to go ahead and and you acknowledge the issues here, but you're going to go ahead and vote for him. It's selfish of his family, of his close advisors, of his cabinet to not come forward and say. This guy is not capable of leading this country day to day when the tough decisions have to be made and all he's got in front of him are cue cards and handlers. And, and I'll even, as we get into our next segment and talk about all the criticism the president's campaign team is receiving from his own party and the former president for that matter, I'm not so sure he is running the show and and Washington Post article when former President Obama had lunch with a guy and is kind of spelling out for him, here's what you need to do about this, here's what you need to do about this and this on your campaign strategy. How do we not know that all those Obama retreads, so many of whom were Obama and are now in Biden's orbit, they're running the show. I'm more and more convinced that, and I think the Washington Post article I saw this weekend really reinforces that. We'll talk more about this and a whole lot more coming up here on KLBJ. I appreciate your thoughts, appreciate your phone calls and your text messages. This afternoon here, 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. Uh, a quick news break coming up from Fox and then lots more time to talk and, uh, and to get your text here. 512 512- 836-0590, KLBJ. And Kenny Rahmeyer back with you here on a Sunday afternoon live and local for you on News Radio KLBJ, our first show of 2024. Glad you're with us on KLBJ. Started out talking about all the blowback that U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's been receiving for being in the hospital for several days and not telling very many people about it. I'm suggesting all the outrage, all the blowback in that is misplaced needs to be directed toward the guy at the top, President Biden. 
if you're going to be upset at uh, at Defense Secretary Austin, why weren't you upset with him when the, we we blew the departure from Afghanistan? I think a lot of people were, but it faded, right? It subsided. He's still on the job. Well, so you're going, to, you're going to kick him out because he didn't tell somebody he was in the hospital after he watched over that debacle of leading of leaving uh, Afghanistan as we did. And so, to me, the bigger outrage is everybody's so concerned about somebody's health. It ought to be concerns about President Biden's health, specifically his cognitive abilities. Those are my concerns, and and that's where all voters, I think ought to be asking a whole lot of questions. We're not getting any answers. We, we probably never will. It appears this White House, this uh, group of, of cabinet secretaries, family, and I mean, they're circling the wagons. They're going to try to see if they can push this guy over the finish line based on what we know today. I think it's an incredible disservice to this country. Regardless of which party, for you to have a candidate like this who clearly has such cognitive issues and and we're saying we're okay with that. I don't get it. 512-836-0590. Daryl's on KLBJ this afternoon. Hello, Daryl. Hello. Uh, my name's Joe, actually. I think there was a little miscommunication. I'm sorry. Apologize for that. Yeah. We're glad to have it's you with good. us. Go ahead. Um, so I, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head, Kenny, when you said that uh, people are getting kind of blown out of proportion about Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. I mean, he he people go to the hospital every day, you know, and, and I, I, my boss has. I'm sure you have. And, and there there is a, a right and a wrong way to handle things. But, you know, you you hit the nail on the head and you said it should be. Instead of getting bent out of shape about that, you should be focused at the guy at the top. I mean, I, I took care of my mother in the last years of her life, and she she had dementia, and she had a lot of the same personality traits that he does. And, uh, you know, God rest her soul, but I, I wouldn't want her to, to be running anything of significant importance. Yeah. And he, he just, he he's, he ain't cutting the mustard. I'm sorry. <laughs> in more ways than one. Good to hear from you this afternoon. Thank you for calling in on KLBJ. Let me let me get to this piece out of the Washington Post. Now I've got articles here from Axios and and even some comments from uh, a leading Democrat. I mean, let's face it, the guy that was pivotal in getting uh, President Biden elected the first time around. Jim Clyburn, a Democrat congressman from South Carolina. He said he's concerned the Biden campaign was not breaking through the MAGA wall. And he said that the administration's record, Biden's in particular, not at the forefront of people's minds. He said he sat down with Biden, expressed his concerns about the reelection campaign. He stressed he was not worried but very concerned. Well, what's the difference there, pal? That sounds like a politician, doesn't it? So this piece out of the Washington Post says that former President Obama has raised questions about the structure of Biden's reelection campaign. Discussed it directly with Biden. 
telling the president's aides and allies the campaign needs to be empowered to make decisions and not clear them with the White House. What does that say? What does that say about your operation? You guys need to go out and figure out how to get this guy reelected. Just don't tell the president anything about it. Don't waste your time on that. Washington Post reports Obama grew animated in discussing the 2024 election. Suggested to Biden's advisors, they need more top-level decision makers at headquarters in Wilmington, Delaware. He even mentioned one of his former key strategists, senior strategists, as somebody they might consider putting in that job. Oh, that's sure. Get the direct line to Obama there, right, in, in place on the campaign team, just as you probably have him running the government. Apparently, this conversation with Biden took place during a private lunch at the White House in recent months. Biden reportedly has long used Obama as a sounding board, and they've been discussing a range of topics, including the 2024 election. And so it's a very lengthy piece. It goes on and on. And specifically, Obama's telling Biden, here's how you ought to be running your campaign goes into a lot more detail. I don't have time for all of that today. Now, of course, the the Biden team's pushing back a little bit saying, yeah, well, you supported Hillary Clinton there, President Obama, and it didn't help her. But report is that Biden is frustrated by his public standing, by his low approval numbers, complains about his low poll numbers in private conversations with aides Washington Post reports in one meeting shortly before Thanksgiving, he demanded to know what his team and his campaign staff are doing about it. (laughs) Hey, team, hey, campaign staff, what are you doing about me being a worthless candidate? What are you doing about that? 512-836-0590 here on KLBJ. The Biden team is defending the strategy In response to this Washington Post piece, one of the principal deputy campaign managers, whose job is probably on the line right now based on former President Obama's input, this principal deputy campaign manager has defended the campaign's approach, stressed that Obama and Biden are aligned in their position that Trump needs to be defeated. Yeah, well, they they may be in agreement on that piece of it. How about all the details underneath that, though? So you've got the former president, you've got Congressman Jim Clyburn. According to Axios, there's others. Quoting here, lots of high-level Democrats warning that President Biden and his re-election team are too complacent and unimaginative about the threat of losing to Donald Trump. The re-election campaign projects a calm confidence about beating Trump if that's what the rematch comes to be. The, the refrain from the Biden team, it's fine, we've got this. According to Axios, high-level Democrats think it's not fine and that they don't have it. 512-836-0590 here on KLBJ. Axios reports... People close to the White House say there's just not enough people willing to give Biden bad news. Those that do get their heads bitten off. 
That probably goes for a lot of presidents these days, right? So I'm just throwing it out there. The campaign team is getting a lot of criticism from many corners within the president's own party with the lowest uh, approval ratings on record, a a debacle down on the border, which we're going to get to here in just a moment. You know, you add it all up. There's still a lot of time before November, but not all things are looking up for the president and his re-election team. Could we agree on that? 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. In fact, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about the border. I mentioned that Governor Abbott, uh, Governor Johnston from Colorado, and others out there talking about the crisis that is our southern border and what are the next steps? What's going to happen? If anything, on some kind of bipartisan deal to try to help fix what's going on at the border and get military assistance for Ukraine and Israel and and Taiwan as well. We'll have the latest coming up for you here on KLBJ. And Kenny Rahmeyer back with you on a Sunday afternoon here on News Radio KLBJ. Thanks a lot for being with us. So the latest on the immigration front. You know, it's somewhat frustrating to talk about this with you, our audience, because you all have been following this story very closely now for three-plus years. You know what a debacle it is down on the southern border. You know what a disaster this president's border security plans have been. And so to just kind of rehash the same stuff over and over and over Probably gets old to you. It gets old talking about it because nothing ever changes. But understand, there's a lot of people who who don't even know yet that we've got a problem down there. Or maybe, now that some other media outlets beyond Fox have been down on the border as of late, maybe some of those reports have surfaced. And maybe after three-plus years of President Biden being in office, and having uh, the red carpet rolled out down on the southern border, for the most part, maybe some people are finally starting to figure out, hey, what's, what's all this talk about problems at the border and all these governors and mayors complaining? That's it's, I mean, there's a lot of people that are so clueless, they don't even know that we've got an issue there or just now starting to come around to it. Many of you in our audience are all over it, and you know we've had problems for quite some time. So, latest numbers today, arrests for illegal crossings into the U.S. from Mexico. Well, what do you know? They fall into about 2,500 on Monday. That's down from about 10,000 a day in December. Is that progress? Yeah, you'd have to say. 2,500 compared to 10,000 a day, that sounds a little better, but the core problems remain. One of the core problems is Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And the Speaker of the House was interviewed on CBS's Phase of the Nation today about Mayorkas, about what's going on down on the border and where things go from here. The U.S. House Speaker, Mike Johnson, among other things, said Mayorkas is is a big part of the problem, said he's not a good faith negotiating partner. And he went on to say, you know, some other things about uh, 
What's the point of continuing to throw money at the same old problem when nothing really gets better? Here's U.S. House Speaker Mike Johnson on CBS this morning. I think anyone with common sense would tell you that you cannot throw more money at a bad system. We don't want to empower more of this. And then he had some comments about Mayorkas. I believe Secretary Mayorkas is an abject failure, but it's not because of incompetence. I believe he has done this intentionally. I think these are intentional policy decisions that he's made, and I think there must be accountability for that. Yeah, well, he's been a loyal soldier, right? I mean, he knew what the boss was asking him to do, which is let down our guard, roll out the red carpet, and really do nothing but accommodate and facilitate the masses. And that's exactly what's been going on. And so Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Colorado uh, Denver Mayor Mike Johnston, was on some of the Sunday TV news shows today of Johnston and Abbott, both on Fox earlier today. And here's a little bit of their comments. First, I want to share with you what they were both asked point blank. The Denver mayor, the governor from Texas, both asked point blank, well, what needs to be done? What, what's really needed to fix the situation? So first from Governor Abbott, then from Denver Mayor Mike Johnston, specifically about, well, what should we do now to really fix things? We need to stop the magnet that is enticing people to uh, cross our border illegally, coming from more than 150 countries across the entire globe. And the way that you do that uh, is to uh, deny asylum to anybody crossing between a port of entry. Here's Denver Mayor Mike Johnson responding to the same question. What should we do now? I can tell you we have far more open jobs right now than we have arrivals, I think. But what we know is this works if you coordinate that entry. You know, if you have cities and states who collaborate the same way we did when we brought in refugees from Ukraine or refugees from Afghanistan. When we have 30 or 40,000 people arriving without work authorization, without federal support, it is going to be a huge strain on cities. Uh, But that doesn't mean we can't uh, solve it. We could solve it if we actually had work authorization for folks that came, if we had resources at the border so that you could adjudicate these asylum claims faster. Johnston also said that, quote, we're going to need almost endless amounts of federal support, end quote. So does that sound like a sustainable model? That's just one mayor from one city, sanctuary city. They've been getting a lot of the illegals. But for him to say we need almost endless amounts of federal support, now just multiply that times how many of the big cities, Chicago, New York City, right down the line, how many smaller cities are, are dealing with the same situation? Not enough resources, not enough money. CBS reports that as the key negotiators have been working even over the holidays, trying to come up with some kind of deal, they're still not there yet. The CBS says the administration is weighing whether to restrict a key presidential immigration authority. This is all about something called parole. And to me, one of the best examples of, of when does parole come into, come into play, I think back to, as we've discussed a little bit earlier today, the debacle of, of how we got out of Afghanistan. A lot of key allies 
within Afghanistan were left behind, right? And then they were looking for ways to, to get out of there and hopefully get back to the United States. And so a, a lot of those members of uh, the Afghan government, of the military, right, key players, key supporters of the U.S. when we were there, they were looking for ways to come back and parole was one of the ways that they were, you know, given a, a way to do that. The administration has used parole extensively, not just on hundreds of thousands of people coming from Afghanistan who were evacuated at some point, Ukrainians the same way, displaced by the Russian invasion. It's also been used for a lot of the Latin American, the Caribbean countries, right? Remember this, up to 30,000 spots each month for some to, to come in from those countries legally if they have sponsors. And so this has been done on both sides, Democrat and Republican, over the many years. But it's a way to let somebody in the country to live and work legally, at least on a temporary basis. Parole does not give them permanent legal status, but it is a kind of a, an easy way in and an easy way to stick around. And, and we, the United States, has done this many times over the years, Democrats and Republicans, for those friendly to the United States who legitimately need to get out of wherever they are and to come in. Parole has been one of the key ways to do that. CBS reports the administration is thinking, you know what, I may have to give up on that one. Is that really going to make a difference? I'm, I'm really curious to understand what these negotiators in the Senate, in the House, what, what are they ultimately going to agree to? CBS reports they're going to tighten up on the asylum interviews. They're going to expand expedited deportations. They're going to create an authority to expel migrants without humanitarian screenings when the border agents are overwhelmed. Well, that's all the time, right? It's all the time when they're overwhelmed. So what's the final deal going to look like? It's anybody's guess. They're not there yet. A senator from uh, the Republican side, James Langford, uh, Louisiana, he's uh, on the Sunday TV news shows today talking about what what needs to happen, where the process is, and where things go from here. Here's Senator Lankford this morning. We've got to end catch and release. That means we've got to have more bed space to actually be able to process. We've got to have more people to be able to process, but we've got to fix the process as well. We've got to have a Democrat Senate, a Democrat White House, and a Republican House to be able to go mm -hmm. through this. So this agreement has to work. Everyone's counting on this actually working. Yeah, well, and, and time will tell if they can come up with something. I saw a couple of uh, additional reports here, immigration-related, that I'll, I'll throw in the mix here. One, you might have heard about this uh, very terrible situation, a fatal stabbing of one of the migrants at Randall's Island. It's a big tent city put together there in, in New York City. Asylum seekers there describe life in that shelter as full of armed rivals and divisive camps. This stabbing victim was assaulted by four people, and the New York Post reports that the, the migrants at this makeshift shelter are saying there's a lot of problems there. The migrants are split into camps based on their ethnicity and their native countries, Hispanics, Africans, Haitians. 
many times at odds with one another. Many of them are armed with knives. A lot of petty crimes, rampant. One migrant said everybody has a knife. There's a lot of stealing. You put your phone down, you put your charger down for a moment, they take it immediately. Tensions are high at, at these camps. So there's one in New York City. And how about this one? In Oregon, one of these... Uh, of kind of camps for homeless people. Who knows that there's not a bunch of migrants there as well. It's been closed. Public nuisance. Police were called to that site 1,300 times in one year, last year. So, Mr. President, how is this model, the situation that you've gotten us into with, with your immigration policies, how is this sustainable, sir? Please, please help us understand that. 512-836-0590. Jose's calling in on KLBJ and has a thought about uh, the president's age and the, some of the issues we were talking about a little earlier in the show. Jose, you're on KLBJ. Hi. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I think it could be best summarized by the expression, the emperor has no clothes. I mean, it's really obvious uh, if you look at the, pre- the president's behavior in that sometimes he shakes hands with people that don't exist. He can't find his way off a stage. You know, sometimes he talks and it's it's all like slurred. But you know our enemies. You know our enemies are watching. I mean, you've got the Houthis taking pop shots at our ships in the Red Sea. You've got the Iranians taking pop shots at our services uh, in Iraq and Syria. you got the Russians taking pop shots at the Ukraines. And the elephant in the room is China and what they may do to Taiwan. So I submit to you that I would be really worried about the type of leadership we're going to have uh, with all these problems in the world because you know our enemies are taking advantage of the situation due to lack of leadership. Yeah, you're right, Jose. They've, they've been going to school on this president and, and seeing him in action or in action for quite some time. And you're right, the next year or so, it, there's a lot of scary propositions as to what could come next. All the more reason to not have this guy sitting in the Oval Office, making key decisions that can affect this country and this world on a daily basis. It's really a, it's really a dangerous situation, and, and I think we ought to be talking more about it. I think the Republicans ought to be pushing it in the spotlight more and more and more and getting more people uh, up to speed on it uh, like you are. I, 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 what I'm trying to figure out is at one point in time... Um, our previous president was challenged to take some type of test, uh, which I believe he passed. And I know that you discussed it earlier in this call, but I don't understand why they can't have this, the current president take that same test or a similar test. Because, I mean, like I said, the emperor has no clothes. He's got issues. And, and uh, because of next year, whether it's the elections or China looking a little closely at Taiwan in terms of what it's willing to do or not do, uh, depending on the circumstances, I mean, we're we're into some really scary times. But again, I want to thank you for taking my call. Good to hear from you, Jose. Thank you for chiming in. And look, I'm pretty convinced. Even if, even if President Biden were to take that test, we wouldn't see or hear about the the real results. I'm sure they would come out with something much like Trump did and said, oh, yeah, he passed it with flying colors. Nothing to see here. Nothing to worry about here, everybody. And yet 
it, it would go totally against anybody. It's casual observations. You don't even have to be paying real close attention. Just casual observations of how inept this president is in front of the cameras. Do you think it's a whole lot better behind the scenes? I mean, there's so much that we don't know. I Again, I think a lot of us are convinced that some others are actually running the show, whether that's the first lady, whether that's all the uh, Obama retreads that are in key positions in the government. It's um, it's really a sad situation, and uh, it's, it's tough to end, end the show on such a sad note, but uh, that's kind of where we are. We're out of time for this afternoon. Thanks for all of the good phone calls, for your good input, and we got a lot to look forward to in this year of 2024, even though some of the prospects on the political side seem, seem pretty disturbing and pretty disappointing and certainly pretty challenging, but... We'll uh, try to stay on top of all of that for you as best we can here on News Radio KLBJ on Sunday afternoons and all the rest of the times as well. So, with that, thanks again for being with us this afternoon. Thanks to Garrett, executive producer, for doing such a great job, as always. And as always, the latest in news is coming up next right here on News Radio KLBJ.